the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Barton Simmons uh, for, for much more of a... Maybe we'll do bonus episodes where we'll just read um, uh, tw- 24-7 sports anti-chip threads from the Florida message boards. But uh, Kyle Trask is the odds-on favorite. So I'm, I, I stand here corrected for my Saturday night takes that it is ludicrous to consider Kyle Trask a favorite ahead of Justin Fields which was the take that I thought Justin Fields was the Heisman favorite, but the odds board has spoken. So Kyle Trask, you are the new Heisman favorite. Lots to get to today. Uh, we are going to continue to uh, unfurl the storylines and, and sort of what's going on around South Carolina, what it means for the college football coaching carousel as a whole. We've got a very troubling report out today from USA Today about the LSU football program over the last several years. We want to do a little bit of a recalibration. We did this in the other conferences too, but you know now that we're getting a little bit more, you know, three or four games for the Big Ten, you know, two games now for some of these Pac-12 teams. What feels right or wrong? What teams have stood out to us in either direction? And then an early line look ahead as we do every Monday and Maclocks. Mac locks. Uh, sadly, we lost our first Mac game this week, but we do have a, a full slate of Tuesday and Wednesday games to break down in our Mac locks. So we begin with Will Muschamp out at South Carolina, uh, Barton, the, with, with some time to digest this a little bit, want to start with you here, but as like the Will Muschamp era, do you think was destined to given the personnel that's on this year's roster, the 2020 team? And what's going on elsewhere in the SEC? Do you think that Will Muschamp was going to be out after this season or during this season, uh, regardless of what happened? Was this news an inevitability within the South Carolina football program and the athletic department, I guess? It was, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yes. I don't know why I can't hear myself all of a sudden. It was an inevitability. Um, it was inevitable, given the way it was it was going, given the direction it was going, um, and I think that this was like this is just. I've talked about this before, but like I just feel like this is it is what it is. Like you are what you are. Like Will Muschamp is sort of a m- mediocre SEC coach. It's not bad, but he's not good, and never is that going to be more apparent and obvious than in a conference only season. Mm. And so as the schedule was progressing, just didn't look, it just didn't look good. Um, and so I guess in a way I feel like it was an inevitability. Um, and I feel like 
I don't know. I just, I, 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 I understand it. Um, I think the mistake was made in the, the hire um, because there was, it didn't make sense to begin with and in giving an extension um, after what, 2018. So I, I mean, there's a lot of missteps here along the way, but this, this just didn't feel like it was ever going to work. Um, credit to Will Muschamp for being a likable guy for the media liking him, for the players liking him, for the administrators liking him, like Will Muschamp. I, like, contrary to what you'd expect from his sort of football guy meathead persona, like he is an incredibly well-liked person. And uh, I think that's part of the reason why he keeps kept, you know, got a second chance in the SEC to begin with. And maybe it's why it, this was, um, you know, ever was considered sort of unlikely that he would get fired this season. But uh, it is what it is at this point. I, I don't know how as a recruiting guru such as yourself, you could say that that contract extension was a bad idea because we all know that recruits, they won't come if you don't have that contract <laughs> extension, coach. Yeah, that's that's such nonsense. Like, it's such nonsense. And it was... Uh, don't tell, don't tell the agents that because that's what they get. Well, no, we need to have that contract extension. How's he going to be able to recruit? So we better just add another two or three years on there. Maybe put up that buyout a little bit. You know, we, we got we to gotta protect the program. I just wonder if, people, if, if, if agents are going to – or if, if ADs are going to catch on. Like, it just seems so obvious. Why, why, can't, they just, why can't they just figure that out? That they, it's not that necessary. Um, but agents keep on holding them over the barrel with it. Do you think it's um, it's fair to acknowledge that Will Muschamp does not carry the same reputation that you might think if you only watched the way that he acts on the sidelines? But also, I mean, he didn't he didn't like die, right? I mean, he's getting fifteen million. I mean, there was a lot. It felt like there was a big like rush on Sunday night. Like, man, I, I really like you. You got to feel for Will Muschamp right now, D- despite what many of you think. Really likable guy. Really likable guy. And yeah, but he's also somebody who's going to be handsomely paid, and uh, because of this contract. And I believe Will Muschamp will have opportunities uh, to continue to be a coach somewhere, probably in the SEC. And, you know, I'm, I'm not out here cheering that he lost his job, but it did feel like there was some straw manning out there. Nobody, nobody was out here like stomping on Will Muschamp. He's, he didn't perform. He, he did not perform. And now South Carolina is moving on. Will, Will Muschamp's record is as self-explanatory as, as anyone's like, I mean, yes, he had a nine win season in there, but he was four and eight last year. He's what two and five this year. He's that there's there's never been a moment where it's felt like um, there was certainty about the future of the success of the program. Like there was moments of hope. There was moments of optimism. You beat Georgia. Of, you beat Auburn. Like he'll give you a good win every now and then. But it's it's. I mean, this is this this thing's this thing's cooked, man. This is we we know what this is. All right, so Ray Tanner. Uh, the athletic director at South Carolina. And as we mentioned uh, on the emergency podcast, former baseball coach of South Carolina, won national championships there. He's heading into Cruton mode. And he's got Cruton in mind because he says he wants to have his head coach in place by December 16th for the early signing period. And he also 
said, quote, the days of 10 to 7 wins are over. So we know that that probably points to going in the offensive direction. And so stupid. And and I think that's probably eliminating some good options, right? Mm-hmm. So stupid. The, like the the days of 10 to 7 are gone. So I, I didn't see the quote. I didn't. That, that's the first I've heard of that. But that's that's sort of infuriating. All right. Like, okay, we're we're done losing like this. If we like if we're gonna lose again, we're gonna lose scoring a lot of points. You know, like it does the the it was winning, not the goal here, guys. Like winning is the goal. And so I I tweeted this too. Like when you look at this hiring cycle in twenty twenty, you can make a strong case the best three hires of the cycle are Jeff Hafley, Sam Pittman, and Greg Schiano, none of which were an offensive coordinator, none of which are a quarterback coach, none of which are bringing an air raid to town. Just hire the best guy for your situation. And if he's an offensive guy, great. Like it's Don't, don't go looking for a defensive guy either. Just look for a guy that is capable of building a program and playing winning football that's sustainable and there's a lot of ways to skin that cat. It's maddening when I see that. It's, it's, if you're truly trying to hire the best candidate available and then you're right from the start lopping off half your candidates, like, is that, that's not a good process. I, I, I agree with you. And it's like, we're not going to win any more 10 to 7 games. Well, you know, if you win 12 games a year, 10 to 7, your fans are going to love winning 10 to 7 games because you're winning games. And like you said, that's really all that's going to matter. So I do think that we're probably going to see them go for an offensive-minded coach. I think that they could get a very good coach doing it, but I also think that you could get a very good coach who has a defensive background. And I mean, like if you look, Luke Fickle is probably going to be one of the bigger names this coaching carousel. That's not an offensive background. That's a defensive coordinator. But look what that defensive coordinator has been able to do at Cincinnati. So I I feel like just limiting yourself to a specific type is ridiculous. Okay. Uh, To be fair, the quote was, the 10 to 7 games are a distant memory. Okay. And, And the offensive coach is only the starting point. So maybe they finish somewhere far from the starting point. But uh, the point remains on uh, clearly where this thing is headed. Barton, it's uh, you have been the the author and executive producer of the Hugh Freeze Minute here. So take take me inside the uh, the war room of a Hugh Freeze. Take me inside because it's he's Jimmy Sexton, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Take me inside the uh, the the Slack chat. They're all Jimmy Sexton. <laughs> take me, take me to the Slack chat as, as the strategy is starting. Because are you encouraged that South Carolina might be the one? Are you holding out to see who else is on the market? You know, where's where's Hugh Freeze's head at? Because I think South Carolina has lit the flare, let it be known, is standing outside Hugh Freeze's window with the boombox in the sky, and uh, and I it sure seems that the starting point being an offensive coach. Um, yeah, I, I believe that Hugh Freeze is going to be at the top of that list. What do you think Hugh Freeze is thinking? So we've, we've huddled up. Our, our team has huddled up. We're talking through our options. And we do believe that South Carolina would be a great fit for us. Um, we believe that we can recruit there. We believe we can score points there. We believe that we can win there at a level that they haven't won there since Steve Spurrier left. And uh, we will be very open to those conversations. Here's our concern. 
um, as, as Team Hugh evaluates our options is the president. Uh, I forget all the titles here. I think the title is president. Um, is a former superintendent at West Point. Big on the integrity thing. Big on Ooh. you know a lot of those. A lot of those sort of one of those types. <laughs> you know, somebody that, that doesn't jive well with you, Free. A lot of that nonsense. Okay, he's got his priorities mixed up. Yeah. So I don't know how well received we will be. Apparently, from the South Carolina folks that I talked to, Ray Tanner, though he might not have the the final call on this thing. Apparently he's not a big fan of, of, of our guy, Hugh. So I don't know if this is actually going to be the one. Mm. Um, we got our eyes on Auburn anyways. That's the, that's, that's where this story ends. Um, but uh, I, I think Hugh's going to be open to, to the conversation and I think he'd be a great candidate. Now that said, um, I'm also the, uh, lead publicist for the Billy, Billy Napier, Napier. <laughs> um, operation. So I, I, I'm, I'm more than happy to offer up his name as a candidate. I actually think that's the one that does make the most sense. Um, he's played college football in South Carolina at Furman. He's coached under Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. He's coached under Nick Saban at Alabama. He has, he is an offensive guy. He has, he has, formulated and built an offensive system at Louisiana that is really productive and, and brings a little bit of an element that the SEC doesn't necessarily have um, in terms of sort of that, that run game quarterback element. Um, and this is a guy that is, is, can recruit at a really high level, evaluates at a really high level, has the Nick Saban developmental blueprints, has the Dabo Sweeney off-field sort of demeanor, more modern, more uh, make this a great place to work, make this a great place to, to, to you know, build a team. Um, so I just think there's a lot of reasons that it really makes sense to go Billy Napier here. here. Um, I think those are the two best candidates for this gig. I think Napier is the guy that makes the most sense because of all the things I just talked about. And yet there's a couple of like, have you guys seen the name Shane Beamer popping up for this one? Yeah, I've seen it from uh, some of the Oklahoma guys because that's where he is now, right? Yeah, that just that just reeks to me of just he's made the right friends in the media world. And yeah, that's the Will Muschamp hire. Shane Beamer <laughs> is running it back the same way that you did with Will Muschamp. Yeah, that's uh, that that one's sort of bizarre. There's a few other bizarro names getting tossed around there to me. But, is Scott Leffler uh, going to come up too? I mean, like. <laughs> <laughs> more on Leffler later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Maclock's yeah, coming up Mac-Locks. in a little bit. Mm-hmm. No, I, do you think? I mean, like Jamie Chadwell is a name that we forgot to mention on the oh, Coastal Carolina last night. Yeah. Like, do you think that is the direction that South Carolina would go, or is that too soon for Chadwell? He hasn't proven enough. Well, I did mention uh, Will Healy also there too. I feel like those are regional, like coaches with good uh, reputations. Obviously. Um, Coastal Carolina is doing better than Charlotte is. Will Healy sort of brings with him the Austin P success and a general, you know, everybody who meets him has nothing but great things to say about him. I don't, I don't think that if you're, if you are South Carolina, I don't think your starting point is the in-state group of five job where they're happened to be doing well. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when this is like a, this is like a, 
I mean, this is a great season, breakthrough year for Coastal, but it's not like he's he's established Coastal as this perennial group of five contender. Like, you're you might just be Louisiana has been in the Sun Belt Championship game twice. Louisiana has been working on this for the last couple years, Mm -hmm. set to get to it again. Yeah, and and I don't think like Luke Fickle. I don't think South Carolina is a job that's going to lure Luke Fickle away from Cincinnati because if you think about it. Like South Carolina is kind of like the Michigan State of the SEC in that there's been some recent success there with the right coach, but it's not like, you know, your program where you're sitting there thinking, oh, I can definitely go there and win a bunch of conference titles. And I do think that's the kind of job Luke Fickle's waiting for. So I don't think he's a realistic candidate. Um, we will be keeping our eye on it. All right. So before we get out of here, um, does this mean with South Carolina coming open, do you think that decisions will be made earlier? And um, more decision, like, do you think this will lead to more trickle down in terms of our expectations for the coaching carousel as a whole? Is South Carolina a big enough player um, to at least for the for the aspect of negotiations, for the aspect of the game that sort of takes place uh, across athletic departments as they're trying to figure out whether or not they want to jump in on the coaching carousel? Does this news ha- and does this news happening now? change your expectations at all for the coaching offseason? I I think my initial reaction is the fact that South Carolina made the move now is all the evidence that you need that South Carolina is not that mover. Because I feel like one of the reasons they did make the move now is like Ray Tanner said that he wants to have a guy in place before signing day. And Ray Tanner also said that they made the move because they were worried about fan apathy growing larger in a season where fans aren't at the games anyway. And as soon as you hire a new coach, everybody will be excited to get no matter when it happens. So I, I think that this is a move where it's like, yeah, no, they, they don't change the market. They're a good job. I'm not knocking it. It's an SEC program. There are very few of those jobs available, but this isn't something where it's like, you're going to see a domino effect anywhere. I think you could not because South Carolina hires someone and then that person opens up a job and like the domino effect in the sense of like USC or Texas opening would create a domino effect. I think it could create a domino effect just in, it's just like broken the seal. Right. You know, you're, you're sitting here and everyone's looking around at each other. Like, are you going to, you guys going to fire this guy? Like that? Cause, cause there's a bunch of PR blowback that comes with the millions of dollars in the hiring process, firing and hiring process. Yeah. So everybody's just twiddling their thumbs, waiting for somebody to talk. And as soon as South Carolina's talked, now everybody wants, wants their voice heard, you know, like it's just this, I think it's going to normalize things a little bit. And so, all right, so now South Carolina makes the move. All right, so Vanderbilt, like very clearly Derek Mason is in the future at Vanderbilt. Like it's not, there's nothing's going to, he's been there seven years, they don't have a winning season yet. So Vanderbilt now that South Carolina has made a move, like is Vanderbilt just going to let this hiring cycle pass it by with the opportunity to maybe get out in front of some things? Does Illinois let Lovey get through this deal does um i don't know what the other ones are that are out there just off the top of my head but like i just think there's there's so many there's so many people that realistically feel like they need a move and and then when you compound it with the idea of yes so budgets are tight revenues dipping uh do uh, is this making a move and paying a buyout going to hurt your bottom line more or is it going to help your bottom line more by like open up the purse strings a little bit for your boosters and donors to want to get back involved in a program that's like sinking into apathy. 
I think I think you're going to start seeing a lot of people do the calculation and start to realize, you know what? Screw it. Like we got to make a move here or else what the hell is going to happen? How many sports programs are going to have to be cut this year so teams can improve for, or so football teams can improve from 4 and 8 to 5 and 7 next year? Yeah, but that that's th- those aren't directly related. Like th- those aren't th- th- like they're those those moves are going to take place if they're if if a, if a team goes from 5 and 7 this year to three and nine next next year are, is like the gymnastics program going to be saved? I mean, if they, no, if they pay, I mean, I'm I just, saying, I'm not saying I'm not, I'm just talking about the fact that the buyouts kind of like what we were talking about with the extensions. And it's just, I, I don't buy the apathy thing. I don't think that fan apathy excuse is a real tangible thing. I don't think that any fan base is going to suddenly stop caring because you booster keep apathy coach for another is, two or three games. Is booster apathy a real thing? No, because if, if I'm a booster who is willing to pitch in a couple million dollars to buy out a coach now, why would I no longer be able to willing to do that in three weeks? Because we lost three more games. I would just be more willing in three weeks to be getting rid okay, of the guy. So was the question okay, so maybe I misunderstood the question. I don't necessarily think there's gonna be a flurry of mid season firings. I just think that South Carolina is the first one off the plank here and that now that they've the done door. it, yeah, once the season is over or before, whatever, I just think the firings will start to to come. South wow. Carolina went Leroy Jenkins. Everybody was gathered together. All the athletic departments with the hot seats were like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to wait until after Thanksgiving. We're going to wait until December hits. And then we're just going to all go ahead and and we're going to do it all at once. It'll be such a flurry of news. No one will be able to criticize. And South Carolina goes, Leroy, and just bust down the door. I mean, that's now we're off and running. And now now there's no looking back. Um, And I'm the guy that's just like, damn it, Leroy. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) The the season being set up the way it is too, to where literally the the championship week and all the games that accompany it in terms of like the cross divisional games, whatever, however teams are setting it up uh, is, is going to take place after signing day, right? After the December signing day. So the idea of, okay, season ends early December. Let's get this guy fired. We've got two and a half weeks to get a coach hired so that he can be sitting there for his, his zoom recruiting calls the night before signing day. Like that's not going to take place. It's the, 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 the decisions are probably going to be made after the early signing period, almost universally. Uh, I, I would say very few exceptions. Are we going to see a ton of like many firings before the season actually comes to an end? And, and I, day actually I, takes place? I would not be surprised, but I also just don't know. Like, I, I just don't know how to process. I don't have a good, educated guess on that, but I would not be surprised if that championship week, week, especially for teams that are not playing for championships, is a whole lot of interim coaches. I mean, it'll be like the BBVA Compass Bowl all over the place in that Big Ten championship week. Is there a a reason why they can't just push the signing period back a week or two? I mean, they I guess they technically could. I think, what, what would be the argument for why they would do that? Just allow schools more time to make their coaching changes because of the way that the season's been pushed because of, you know, the whole pandemic thing. I still, think, know, the NCAA, I, I still think the NCAA is going to operate with that much um, flexibility. 
I just, it just sounds, I mean, yeah, to us, it sounds pretty reasonable, but I just, it's a, cru- it's a cruise all, liner, all, all <laughs> yeah. the committees and yeah. subcommittees. And I don't know, man, they just, they just got together and said, you know what? We'll have all 68 teams in Indianapolis for the NCAA tournament. I don't feel like pushing the week, the deadline back a week or two. should be that big of a deal. And by yeah, the so, way, do they do that? Yeah. yeah and speaking that of that, are they going to have the kids taking classes in Indianapolis too? Because they are student athletes. Remember NCAA. That's what you're always telling us. I don't know. I went to North Carolina. I don't know anything about going to class. <laughs> Ivy League's out of basketball though. Yeah. Winter sports are up. So, so I don't know, 67. Uh, pivoting real quick before the break. Reminder, we do have our Mac locks and our uh, early line look ahead to a robust week 12 in college football, along with some of our uh, recalibrations. But uh, report out of USA Today dropped on Monday, uh, alleged, alleges they've, they've compiled a lot of information from multiple years at LSU football. And the, the headline is that LSU did not handle multiple sexual assault complaints against football players, um, you know, with the kind of seriousness that I think that we've come to expect uh, from our college football programs, especially with, you know, as a, some, a consumer of college football, as an analyst for college football, I think that with situations like what we saw at Baylor, with some of these scandals that have erupted, I would hope that there is some growth for college football, and I hope that there is some improvement. And uh, according to USA Today, uh, a total of nine players have had allegations and complaints of sexual misconduct or violence against women since Ed Ogeron took over the program in September 2016. Uh, Cocho had a prepared statement for his press conference today in which he denounced any uh, sexual assault or violence against women. And I think that the the way that this... Um, back and forth has gone. Some of it has played out already specifically with Darius Geis, who has run into some trouble with violence against women recently. And that led to a reexamination of allegations from his time at LSU. So the, uh, the details of it are, are disappointing. Uh, they are disturbing. They're not at all what you would want to see, uh, out of LSU. And it doesn't, well, I guess it, what does this do, for y'all in terms of how we try to digest this and how we try to apply it to uh, the way that either we look or think about this LSU program or Ed Ogeron and um, sort of whether or not you're expecting there to be any fallout or next details or follow-ups in this story. Well, I mean, it's like you said, it's disturbing to read. Like it was not, it was not a fun, it was not a fun read reading the USA Today's article on this. It's, it's a problem and I, I don't want to issue too much of a statement on it, but it's, I, I think we're going to have to wait to play out because I mean, I feel like with all this stuff going on, we kind of have to see how LSU responds to it. And if there's more coming to light, because this is like a lot of stuff and the story, like you said, it's not just the football team it is the school in general. It's there's allegations against non-athletes at the school that they feel like the school did not, you know, do the, take the rights title nine courses and all that stuff. But like when you go through it, it's, it's it's in a weird way it you're not surprised by any of it because we're so used to seeing this stuff in recent years happening in schools and particularly with athletes in major programs so it's it's kind of disheartening that when you are reading it it's kind of like you're you know in a way kind of like talking about how south carolina fires will Muschamp, champ opens the door you know or normalizes it 
And just hearing, reading these stories over and over again, it's like kind of normalizing this kind of behavior. And it's just, I don't know. It's, it's a disturbing story. And of course, obviously they're all allegations. Nothing's been proven. Got to let everything take its course, but it's, it's a horrific look. Let's I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what, um, I guess I'd be a little surprised if there were significant fallout from this, uh, on the LSU side of things. Um, we'll see how things proceed, how they play out. I think what, like one of the real challenges of running a football program, running an athletic department is the idea that you are, you know, sort of taking on these young men and you are an advocate for them, a support system for them. In some cases, even a father figure for them. And so the, you know, I, I understand like the challenges of being presented with a, uh, a problem and sort of believing your player side of the story and like trying to be supportive of your player. But I think the, the issue with a lot of these going back to the Baylor deal and now this LSU deal is, is the idea that like, there is another, like, this isn't like LSU versus Alabama. Like there is a, there's another human side to these encounters and incidents and, there's like a lot of these coaches and, and administrators really like, I feel like they fail to look at this as we need to take steps to protect all the, all the human beings on our campus, not just sort of whoever I'm aligned with, whoever my relationship is with. And so uh, it creates these really tricky scenarios that I think people are, are navigating really poorly. And I don't want to say people, it, it appears that LSU navigates leaders, lead, leadership yeah, leaders. at these universities and inside these football programs could do better to think about protecting everyone, not just protecting their player or whoever they were chosen to defend in this, because this, these incidents should not all be treated like uh, court cases where you're in there just to try and like get the best sentence possible for your client. I think there has to be, as leadership on the university level, if you're a head football coach, you're one of the most powerful people on that campus. If you're an athletic director, you're one of the most powerful people on that campus. I think that it is absolutely up to you. And I, I mentioned Baylor earlier, not to necessarily tie LSU to Baylor, but to use that as what I saw as a big turning point in the way that we talk about this. Because, Tom, we've worked at CBS since 2010, and you're absolutely right. Like I'm sick of writing sexual assault stories in college football. We've written a ton of them and I would hope that with everything coming to light and with some of these scandals, there has to be some room for growth and you hope that there's room for growth. And that's where I think as a leader, as a football coach and as an athletic director, you hope that it turns to we're, my job is to protect everybody on this campus, not just the football player who is directly in my org chart uh, in the way that things are broken down out here. And I don't think it like, like I, I don't think it's it's sinister in in the approach that like the leadership takes when these stuff pop up. I think it's I think there's a pre-wiring that a lot of these people have to sort of fight against. It's like cuz look, all right, you kid your kid signs to come play for our program and I am supposed to be his, you know his advocate and he's coming to me and he's saying, "Coach, you know, this is this is bull, bullshit. Like no way." And you're like, "Well, hey, I got you, man. Like we're going to take care of this." No. Well, that, that, that has, that pre-wiring has to be totally, 
that has, has to be adjusted, has to be fixed. That, like something has to change on that front to where that's not the approach that people take. And um, unfortunately, I think there, there's a ways to go, but you're right. Like this is happens. This is, this is, this is kind of nauseating, like how, how normal this is, is becoming. Coming up on the other side, we take a look at the weekend of ahead, some early line look ahead, as well as, you know, a little bit more changing opinions. Are we all in on Northwestern? Colorado's good. We'll, we'll sort of take a open up our notebooks uh, and more. Plus, Maclock's next. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. All right. So we have had a, a little bit of um, a little bit of information added to the to the the picture. Things are filling in a little bit more. We've got an idea of what's happening. Uh, I want to start with some of our, our shifting opinions on some of these teams that in the big 10 and the PAC 12. Uh, and I want to start with, are y'all in on with me? Is Colorado a good football team? Because Emory hunt threw that out. He, he was out. Did y'all hear? He was out here talking about the, he was like, Carl Durrell is a good football coach. And people don't realize that this is going to be a good opportunity. And I, I watched a lot of that Colorado Stanford game and again, I don't look at that depth chart and I don't see like a bunch of dudes. I don't see a bunch of names that I recognize, but they outplayed Stanford like from the start, like wire to wire. We're the better team on a down to down basis. And, uh, and I don't know, man, I think Colorado might be good. If, if we were saying who's going to be the Arkansas in the pac 12, I think the buffs are it. Define good though, because like, I think Colorado is 1 million percent exceeding our expectations for it. Kind of like Arkansas has exceeded our expectations for it. I don't know if it's good. I just think that it's off to a good start through two games and it's, it's much better than we thought it was going to be. And it's a very positive sign going forward that Carl Drell has been able to come in to a situation that was extremely messed up with the way that Mel Tucker left late because the Michigan state job came open late. And now he's their third coach there in three years comes in late. There's no real off season. There's no real prep time, barely gets the chance to know his team. And they've come out in two games and looked really well. And plus let's throw in the fact that, you know, for a while there, the players weren't even allowed to practice or be on campus because of stuff going on in the state, just from the health perspective and with like wildfires and a whole bunch of stuff in the mountains so it's it's a remarkable start i don't say, i'm not going to sit here and say that i think colorado is definitely going to be like competing for the pac-12 south but i do think that they're definitely 
They could be the third. I think that they could be the third best team in that division. I think third or fourth best team is definitely a a potential ceiling. And I thought they were destined for sixth. And yeah. And I think too, like, you know, Arizona state's already had to cancel its second game of the season. You know, it did that on Sunday a week before, because I think we're looking at a situation where Arizona state season could in all reality, there's a decent chance Arizona state season is already done. And that opens the door for somebody in the South because that leaves USC as really the lone kind of, you know, two and O team that everybody's going to be scared of. So if you're Utah, Colorado, there's a, there's a vacuum there for you to move up into it. I think that Colorado could be that team. It's just, I still don't know if I consider it good. I think it's a solid team and it's in a much better shape than I anticipated. You say third or fourth in the South. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I think they jump UCLA and Arizona jumped. UCLA uh, and why am I who did who did they beat this weekend? Why am I blanking? Stanford. Stanford. It was out Stanford. of division. Right. Okay. All right. So, I mean, I don't know. They could be like who? The South sucks. <laughs> so sucks. that yeah. was that was another team I had on my list for recalibration. What do we do with USC? They're two and zero, oh, but I man, does anybody buy it? Because they're going to beat oh, Utah. Man. That's coming up this weekend, and are uh, they though? All right, so <laughs> can we be that sure? It's the uh, it's Utah can't handle the air raid principle. A lot of stuff happening this year that we thought teams couldn't do or handle that they've been proven capable of doing. That is very very true. But the the my my sort of launch off point was USC beat Utah last year, and going into that game, we were carrying that same idea as like you know. Utah has got really good defense and they're good against most teams, but every now and then the air raid gets them. I wonder if Graham Harrell and Keaton Slovis are going to be able to do this. I think that that is the reason why you see USC as just a two and a half point favorite on that. That game is this weekend uh, in Salt Lake city, 10 30 PM uh, Trojans as a narrow, less than a field goal favorite. It's probably about right. You got to factor in something for the must. but again, I mean, do you, do you believe in USC right now? Well, first of all, I do think, like, yeah, I agree. Carl Durrell is a good coach, but I got to say, like, I think my 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 shorting of Carl Durrell as a hire is less about his ability to coach the game of football, more about his ability to sort of recruit, you know, build that roster, generate the enthusiasm around the program. Um, maybe I'm wrong about those things too. I kind of hope I am because I do. I'm I'm rooting for Carl Durrell. I think he's he's a he's a very likable guy. He has a great reputation as a person, but we're ways away from that. That said, it's a, it's a hell of a start. Um, but I'm, I mean, if USC like USC, just I I am actively rooting for them not to make the Pac-12 championship game. <laughs> Because they just don't deserve to be in there. Right. They're just not that good of a team. And they've they've managed to survive the first two games, but there's I mean, whatever. Maybe I'm just bitter for 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 spending any time and effort <laughs> into projecting out USC as a potentially good don't team. Don't say one. any. Here, the word is lots for spending lots of time projecting right. USC towards championship status. Here, here's, here's what I think is happening here, though. I think that we are allowing 
our expectations to cloud our judgments of these teams because we're talking about is Colorado good because it's off to a two and zero start and it's not like it's been blowing teams away. It's played well and it's won games and it's two and zero. USC hasn't lived up to our possible kind of Pac twelve champion, maybe even a playoff berth hopes, but it's two and zero. And if we look just strictly at the Pac twelve. We think USC's defense hasn't been great, but USC is allowing fewer points per drive than Colorado's defense is. Offensively, when we look at it, USC is scoring 2.38 points per drive. Colorado's has been better at 2.86. So they really haven't played all that differently through two games. It's just the prism that we're looking at them through because of our expectations is completely different. So I don't think USC is that bad. I think they're just off to a slow start. I think obviously Kadan Slovis is dealing with something and he is not 100%. And I think Colorado is exceeding expectations. But I think as the season goes along, like once USC finds its groove, I still think there's a very real chance that they get they get through the South unbeaten. Because like you said, Barton, the South doesn't really seem to be all that good. I do think that from what I've seen through two weeks, I'd take Oregon over USC at this point. But I don't think USC is bad now. Hey, did you guys watch any of that Washington Oregon State game? Yeah. Uh yeah. Oregon State's the best. Oh, they got screwed, first of all. They got Big time. absolutely jobbed by the officials in that one. And they are the best 0 and 2 team in the country. I don't want to hijack your point that you're about to make, but I want to say going back to that, like, did you see the the Pac 12's statement about that, Chip? Mm-mm. Well, they said, like, they released a statement about those spots that says, well, there wasn't definitive evidence on replay that showed that the ball was spotted incorrectly. And I'm like, okay, you can make that argument if you want to. Never mind that every single person watching the game on television was screaming that that was a bad spot. But that's fine. Why don't you still just say the refs should have put better spots to begin with? Like, they didn't say a word about the refs. All they said was, yeah, well, there wasn't enough evidence to definitively overturn it. That's great. Why are your refs still misplaying balls by a yard? (laughs) Ridiculous. Anyways, Barton, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I just, this Washington, like, they they look like, uh, you know, a lot of multiple tight ends. Just like old Stanford. They looked like old Stanford. Yeah, They had like eight guys with, with a carry by the end of the game. And did you see the tweet today? What uh, what Jimmy Lake showed up to his press conference hat with wearing said? No, he's wearing a hat that said "Run the damn ball." <laughs> Jimmy Lake. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, that's that's kind of what I was thinking too. Because when you looked at their formations, they typically only had one receiver out, especially in the second half when they were just bleeding the clock and holding on to their lead like that. They they looked like the late Jim Harbaugh, early David Shaw year Stanford teams. That's the style that I was getting when I was watching. I was like, oh, wow, we got a new Stanford now in the Pac-12 North. So Oregon, Washington is just going to be like hurling refrigerators at each other. <laughs> it's, it's very, my, my Big Ten heart is good, is pretty excited about the Oregon, Washington game. I kind of loved it. Like it wasn't, um, what, uh, what they finished with like 27 points or something. Yeah, it was so yeah. 27, like just, 21 or something. Yeah, they just like roll up 500 yards of offense or something. But it was just kind of fun. Like the, you could see like late in the game, they, they had a, they had a three point lead and they were just, they, they were just, you know, milking that clock <laughs> and that drive as if, you know, th- this was, you know, the, the, you know, the season depended on them in this four minute drill that started with 12 minutes left in the game. Like it was, uh, it was just sort of admirable the way they played it. 
Jimmy Lake was definitely in that defensive coordinator mode of, eh, we got the lead. We don't need any more points. The defense <laughs> could just stop them. <laughs> Jimmy Lake didn't out here caring if any other D coordinators get head jobs ever again. He's like, I'm a D coordinator. I'm going to play it like a D coordinator. Yeah, because that game, that game was 24 to 21 at halftime, and it finished 27 to 21. <laughs> the second half, there was just nothing happening. It was, it was. It was nice because it, uh, you know, because it started late, so it helped me get to bed a little bit earlier than a lot of Pac-12 after dark games let you. True, big true there. Um, all right, so anybody else in the Pac-12 that you feel like your needle is wavering on? So, I don't know, Cal. I mean, Cal. <laughs> that's the thing. It's like do you, I don't do know how much him? weight to put in that. Yeah, I, I, it's a burn the tape game. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, <laughs> you literally take the game on two days notice. You're playing at 9 a.m. on a Sunday. It's, it was, that it was an awful football game to watch. And I can't, I'm not going to hold anything against anybody in that game, nor am I going to give anybody too much credit for anything in that game. It was a game that happened. Okay. So from there to the Big Ten, where, and this sort of pairs in, into our uh, early line look ahead, I, I want to know whether or not I should hold on to any, Minnesota stock like has it all been dumped do we think there's going to be a point where uh, the Gophers are actually going to be undervalued because of the way that things have gone to start the season because Minnesota is one and three and looked awful last Friday night they're playing on Friday night again again at home against Purdue this time Purdue a short three-point favorite in this game like I I, as I was watching Minnesota, my thought was, well, I'm off Minnesota for the rest of the season. This is just, this is a lost year. Their defense is so bad. I don't, I don't want to have any part of this. And this is only from like a rooting in a like locks perspective, not necessarily from interest since I still am very interested in PJ Fleck and Tanner Morgan, Mo Ibrahim, Rashad Bateman. There are interesting aspects of Minnesota, but man, I, I kind of want to stay away for a while. I can't remember who sent this to me on Twitter. One of our listeners tweeted it to me and it was like a light bulb going off in my head because we, we did kind of talk about it a little before the season. But you remember in 2018, Jordan Love had a fantastic season at Utah State, came into 2019 talking about as like, you know, maybe a possible first round draft pick. He's going to have a huge year and he had a bad season under a new offensive coordinator. Then last year, Tanner Morgan had a great season. I had him in my mock draft last spring for the early look at the 2021 draft as a possible first round pick. He hit his numbers were fantastic. We were talking about Minnesota as being one of the top teams coming into the Big Ten this year. I was. And now through the first few whatever games, Tanner Morgan has taken a drastic step backward. He's got a new offensive coordinator. The same offensive coordinator that Jordan Love had in his final season at Utah State, Mike Sanford Jr. <laughs> That's where the stock's been sold. That's when we were selling Mike Sanford stock uh, for weeks, years. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess are we off? Like, can well, the Gophers? I mean, what's what? What, uh, what sort of stock are we got in the defensive coordinator that's coordinating a unit that's given up seven point eight yards per play? Yeah, it's it's a mess all around. It's I mean they they. They were young on defense. They're missing some key players on offense, or at least they had been. I'm not sure they might be getting some of those guys back soon, hopefully. But I don't, if you look at the rest of their schedule, they're one in three. This week, they're scheduled to play Purdue. 
that is a winnable game, I think. But then after that, it's at Wisconsin. Doesn't seem winnable to me. Then it's Northwestern. Not like a no shot in hell kind of game, but I feel like Northwestern's going to win that game far more often than it doesn't. And then they finish on the road against Nebraska, who looked a bit sprightly against Penn State, at least for a half the other day. So I think that game is winnable. So I, I, I think we're looking at a team in Minnesota that could probably going to get a second win and it might get a third win, but I really don't see it getting a fourth. So Minnesota is the Big Ten West team that has let us down the most. What about the Big Ten West game of the week coming up? Ryan Field, Evanston, Illinois, the Wisconsin Badgers, seven and a hook, visiting that tall, unmowed grass. Barton is Northwestern going to get it done on the field. Where's our confidence? And no one's asking for a lock. It's Monday, but as as you're as you're hearing that Northwestern has a seven and a half point underdog with Wisconsin coming into town. Where's your head at? Where's your heart at? Oh man, Wisconsin looks pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. I mean, they look pretty. Like I'm, I can't believe I picked Michigan last week. <laughs> I can't believe it. That, I mean, Jim Harbaugh is like, what is he? Isn't he, isn't he like winless as a as an underdog? As an underdog, yes. Yeah. Um, I think it's zero and twenty one at this point. I can't believe I did that. Uh, so I don't want to do. I. I I don't really feel like I have the courage to pick against Wisconsin again. Um, and yet you're giving me a full touchdown. Um, I don't know. I feel like Northwestern's built for that. They're built to keep, I don't know if they're going to win, but they're built to keep it close. So uh, I don't know. I mean, speaking of Northwestern though, I think their, their transitive property game against Maryland is maybe the most impressive winner of the year at this point. I mean, Maryland's, is that that's by the way did you guys hear this um this uh theory floating around about uh ohio state potentially losing the east to indiana so if there if if for some reason indiana does it start with indiana beating ohio state in columbus no it starts with game gets canceled spikes that game is a no contest. There is no ability to get that game rescheduled. Ohio State uh, has already played one of their non-divisional games. Indiana has played in-conference game, in-division games. If Indiana has a, a lead on Ohio State at the end of the season in the, in the divisional standings and Ohio State can't point to a head-to-head, does Indiana get the nod over Ohio State despite having, uh, you know, if they're both if they're both undefeated and Ohio State has two less games? Well, if Indiana. listen, if so, congratulations to the Hoosiers on making it to the Big Ten championship game, and ask them how it worked out for Penn State in 2016 when Penn State won the Big Ten title, and who was in the college football playoff from the Big <laughs> That's Ten? True. <laughs> That's a great point. It was Ohio State. So Wisconsin's going to roll in there and put up a big number on whoever they play, anyways. Yeah. Um, Okay. So Penn State and Michigan. Penn State's at home against Iowa. Michigan's on the road against Rutgers. Who gets a win? Michigan. If Michigan doesn't beat Rutgers, that's it. 
that's got to be it. Like mean, that, that, that is what it would take to convince it. me that Harbaugh's fired at the end of the year. I mean, it, that might just be it. Because Harbaugh's even starting to, he's laying the groundwork. He's starting to be like, what stands out about like what's going wrong in this losing streak? And he starts to be like, the coaching. You know, when he when he starts to own it, that's that's the young man that grew up sitting in Bo Beckler's chair who went on to play quarterback for the team. Yeah, he's always he's always owning the losses. He's never yeah. he's, he's always take blame taking the blame for every single loss that they've had, though. That's nothing new. But that's the that's that's really like I mean, I'm not saying it's his play, but I'm just saying it lays some nice groundwork for I'm gonna step down for the good of the program I love because it's just not working. <laughs> And if, and if, if what I'm trying isn't working, I know that somebody else needs to be here because I love this program so much. Then everybody's like, Jim, thank you for everything that you've done right here. You'll always have a home here in Ann Arbor. We'll cheer for you at halftime. The thing is, Harbaugh doesn't even like, he doesn't coach for all the shiny things it gives you. Harbaugh just loves to be in the arena of competition. So Harbaugh should just, he should just step away and go take the, you know, take the Akron job. Uh, just, <laughs> Do you want competition? Yeah. Because, uh, you know, like he just wants to, he, like if he were to leave Michigan, he's not going to go live out his years in retirement somewhere. Like he's going to, he's going to find somewhere else he can coach. And even, and, and he doesn't strike me as a type that's unwilling to take a little humble pie and go, you know, dip down a few levels. Like huh. I just think he wants to coach. Let's yeah. Let's not forget where he started. San Diego. Yeah, San Diego. Yeah. I, I definitely think that's the case. If he did leave Michigan and he couldn't get like an NFL job, I do think you'd find Jim Harbaugh coaching in the Mac. And I think people would be like, oh, look at he's been reduced to this. And I think, yeah, you're right. He would just be like, nope, I just want to coach. He'd football. love it. He'd yeah, absolutely he love it. Love it. Uh, all right. From the week 12 slate, whole board out there. Um, lines were released on Sunday. I know, Tom, you were on lines duty for CBSSports.com. Uh, what stood out to y'all? I mean, nothing seems super crazy to me as far as lines that I liked early. I kind of like LSU against Arkansas. That is a 44 point swing, by the way, from 2019 to 2020, where LSU was a 45 point favorite against the Hogs last year. They and now they 45 are a one point year. favorite right now. They're Did a they cover that? dog in some places, Chip. <laughs> They're a, they're a dog in some spots. Oh my gosh! Did they cover forty five last year? Let's look it up. I don't think so. They, yeah, I saw that. I was like, oh man, <laughs> I don't know about this one, guys. I like Arkansas a lot, but I don't. No, know. they won by 36, 56 yeah. to twenty. They did not. Co- that's that's probably one of the games that we pulled out when we were taking Syracuse plus uh, forty six and a half against Clemson because it's been profitable to take the teams that are catching big numbers like that. Um, yeah, I guess Arkansas. I don't know, man. I don't know if, I don't know if that's exactly the, the it's almost like too low for a team that has had some time to uh, sort of reposition itself. But aren't we sort of staying off of teams that are coming off of COVID breaks? Yeah. But here, here's a question for uh, Hugh Freeze's agent over there. Liberty, a three and a half point dog to NC State. What's the question? Oh, no, no, no. This breaks two ways. And I don't know which way you're leaning. I think you're thinking that this is the Hugh Freeze statement game. 
all the buzz, your name's been in the mix, and now you get another ACC opponent, chance to go 3-0 and against the ACC, like, yeah, then you want to back Liberty as a short dog. But if this has also been a busy week of uh, Zoom interviews with the search firm, then maybe that's a little bit less time of figuring out how you're going to block Aleem McNeil in the middle of that NC State defensive line. So which way is it going to go? That's that's true. Though, you know, he's scheming up plays in his in bed for Syracuse um, a couple weeks ago. You know, he's that guy's. He's got time. He's got time. He's pro- all he's doing is right now is he's proving that he's ready to run a big time program again. Time management's on point. Here, here's one that stood out to me too for movement because Cincinnati opened as like a three, three and a half point favorite on the road against UCF, depending on what book you want to use. It's up to six in some places already. Can't trust UCF. I don't, I mean, I taking UCF, if it gets over a touchdown, I understand taking UCF on a principle, but I, I don't think that the Knights are trustworthy enough. And you're, you're hoping for UCF's passing attack against one of the best pass defenses in the country. Yeah, I don't know though, man. That's that's a lot of points for an offense that has still been pretty good this year. Fair. All right. Which offense? Oh, UCF. UCF. Yeah. yeah. All right. Maclock's time. Games on Tuesday. Games on Wednesday. Uh, it. What? <laughs> what are y'all's Mac locks for the week? I've got two. They're both on Wednesday. Okay. I am taking in my first game, I am taking Northern Illinois plus 14 and a half at Ball State. Just think that that's going to be like, I, I'm also considering the under because this is a wonder as far as for current forecasts are calling for. But I just, I think Ball State's good. I don't think Ball State is good enough to be that big of a favorite. Uh, and then my other one is a wonder. It is the under in Western Michigan at Central Michigan, which the total is currently at 60 and a half. But the forecast at the moment is calling for 15 mile per hour crosswinds at Kelly Short Stadium. So, yeah, hopefully Western Michigan doesn't do me dirty again like it did with my Toledo pick the other night. But those are my two Mac locks for the week. So I'm I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to lock up the game that I really hope Barton is out here getting ready to uh, propose. Uh, my my lock will be the under in Kent State Akron. Uh, that game is on Tuesday night. The over under is at sixty and a half, and Kent State's going to absolutely dominate this game. And I believe, I believe that it will be the kind of game that is so lopsided so early that we'll have a tough time. I don't know if Akron's going to do its part of the job to be able to get us to the over. So I will take the under in Kent state Akron at 60 and a half. Are you going to do it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to do it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I mean, part of the just full transparency here, my, I, I have yet to put together my, um, my kind of workflow through the week in order to allow myself time to dig into the numbers for the max and for the Mac locks. So I, I always arrive at this episode at this, this recording a little bit unprepared as it relates to a Tuesday or Wednesday night lock. Right. So I go with what I know <laughs> and what I know. And, and there and two things that I know 
are, are, are converging this weekend. One is I know that my Buffalo Bulls, the team that I picked as my favorite group of five program, while you guys picked a couple of scrub ass teams, is a really good team and they're going to cover. And the other thing I know is that Bowling Green is Bowling Green and Brian Van Gorder is Brian Van Gorder. Scott Leffler, Scott Leffler. And that is just, and it's not. I Bro, it's 32. You are laying 32 points. I get you 31 and a half. Okay. It's not really that fun anymore to like crack <laughs> this joke. It's a little bit like sad, but here I am. And you say the number is 31 and a half, 32, whatever. Let me, the last five games for Bowling Green dating back to last season, here is the margin of victory, or the margin of defeat rather. 41, 42, 42, 35, 38. That's, that is, they, they're not covering any of them and they're not showing signs of life and Buffalo is, is legit. Uh, worst team in the league, best team in the league. 31 is not enough points. <laughs> well, the biggest games from Saturday, not the Mac locks, but the biggest games from Saturday uh, are part of the card that you can use to try and get free money. That's right. It costs nothing to enter the cbssports.com college pick'em. You get to it by going to cbssports.com slash college, and you will have the opportunity to win guaranteed money every single weekend. We are giving away $1,000 guaranteed every single week, and the contest is open from Tuesday to noon on Saturday. So it's the biggest games on Saturday. You pick them against the spread. That starts on Tuesday, tomorrow, and then so as we continue to remind you about it, I'll give you some updates, what games are on the card, so you can go ahead and, and get set with the locks episode contest runs from Tuesday to noon on Saturday. Uh, the biggest college football games, you put in your picks against the spread to try and win money. Now, it's also fun because you can do groups. So single entry to try and get some of the $1,000 guaranteed that's given away every week, or you could do a group to compete against your friends or coworkers. CBSSports.com slash college is how you get to the college pick them. Again, that is CBSSports.com slash college. All right. Wednesday, mailbag. The mailbag is open. The way that you get to it is you go and you give us a five-star review wherever you get the Cover 3 podcast. Leave your review. Say something nice. Say something critical. Maybe you're a Florida fan. Maybe you're throwing darts at a Google image printout of my face. Maybe. But you can, as long as you just leave a question in there and five stars, we will uh, add it to the mailbag. If you want to criticize Chip, if you want to roast Chip, we're, we're happy to read it yeah. as long as you got five stars next to it. And, and a question. That's right. You don't even want a question. You'll just take, if it's five care. stars if and it's a, a roast. Star roast Chip as a okay. fan, you're welcome to do that and, I, and we will read it. All right, Chip, there we go. Why are you such a bitch? Yeah, exactly. That's... That that will um I can maybe answer that one. It kind of has to be good though. Like it has to be entertaining. If you're gonna roast him and 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 I don't really I don't really want it to be like mean mean spirited either. <laughs> like like that would be awkward. But yeah, like give us give us something to work with. I start, I, I do appreciate the uh, so I've been getting sent video clips with timestamps of Kyle Trask throws. It's like hey. <laughs> 
Look at this at 748. You think that's a paper airplane? Hey, <laughs> look at this at 1053. Is that a paper airplane? I mean, if you want to keep including Kyle Trask timestamps in the, the review, that's cool too. But five stars, throw a question in there. Uh, we will get to it in the mailbag. We'll probably also solicit for some on Twitter. You can always follow us on Twitter at Cover3Podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. I want to just read off uh, hate threads. As I say, we don't have Knowles to go, but here's a 24-7 Florida board. Good, just own it. I recently took up listening to this. Oh, it's titled Cover 3. Do we want to start the show or do we want to just? I'm recording. Okay. The Cover 3 podcast rant from the uh, message boards at Swamp 24-7 from Kirk is Real. I recently took up listening to this podcast, and I have to say that I absolutely hate Chip Patterson. <laughs> Barton Simmons and Chip have this running joke that they're UGA homers, and Chip takes it way too far. It's almost hard to listen to. Today, Barton was praising Trask and talking about the Heisman, and Chip responded laughing with, you really think he's a Heisman finalist? You've watched his throws, and you think he can win the Heisman? I said favorite. Nice pace for airplane I, ball, I guess. I said favorite. I took, I took issue with he is, and he is the Heisman favorite. Right, like no, he is. He is officially the Heisman. He's favorite. officially. Is he really? Yeah, he's the odds-on favorite. He currently. is the odds-on yes. favorite. I wrote about that in the Monday after today too. I just, uh, I will say, Kirk is real. That you're right. Chip is a Barton hater, but I'm on the show too, and I was on that show talking. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome back. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24 seven. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.